With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the O&G Strike Zone. This is your host for this evening, because Brian's somewhere coaching and everything. This is Kofi Hemingway. <laughs> I've got Kelvin Rozier along with me. And we got our very special guest who's going to give us the update uh, regarding FAMU recruiting, Brother Marcus. Say hello to everyone, everybody. Good afternoon, O&G Strike Zone. Glad to be with you. Cool. What's up, Kelvin? Fellas? What's up? There we go. All right. Well, look, man, we had a very busy weekend in Rattler Nation, uh, obviously dealing with the whole playoff uh, atmosphere with Southeastern Louisiana going up against those guys, man. Um, I obviously have a lot to say, so I'm going to hold my views off for a second, and I'm going to give my brothers an opportunity to communicate with the rest of Rattler Nation. So, uh, Brother Marcus, man, what do you think about the game, my brother? Well, it wasn't what I was hoping for. (laughs) It wasn't what I was hoping for. I mean, I knew it was going to be tough. And just looking at the some of their cut ups from YouTube, I mean, they were slinging the ball around like we were like 20, 25 years ago. So I wasn't sure how how it was going to turn out. But uh, all in all, it was a great effort. And it, it gave us some things to think about. Cool. But so when you say those things to think about, what do you mean? Uh, well, I guess on special teams, and there's been a couple times where we've been caught off guard. I think Alabama A&M ran a fake punt. We weren't ready for it way back then. They ran something. Well, in Southeast Louisiana, ran a fake field goal and a fake punt. So they must have seen something in film or, or picked up on something. So that probably needs to be tightened up. Um, on defense, I think after the first half, maybe the first quarter, things got a little settled. But So I wasn't really super disappointed in defense, even though the score didn't really look good. But overall, I mean, I was pleased. I think some nervousness on offense kind of reared its head things just didn't seem kind of out of sync. Well, when you say out of sync, my brother Marcus, what what exactly do you mean when you say out of sync? Go on ahead and go there. Release that fury, that rattler energy on us, man. Go on and tell us what's on your heart, man. Stop being holding back on us. Go on and tell us the truth. 
We need truth that'll make us free. Help us out. It seemed like started out pretty good on the first drive. We had bust a couple runs and um, Bishop bounced it to the outside. Then we had a case of the dropsies, and I guess we're trying to loosen up the defense because they were coming out, coming out looking for the run. So they were probably stacked against. And I haven't looked back at the at the film yet to kind of back that up, back that assertion up. But you know, a couple untimely drops. And then you look at the stats, we had some penalties, some untimely penalties. I think even in the first drive where they actually scored a touchdown, we kind of aided and abetted them with a pass interference. So we had some untimely penalties, which has kind of been a recurring theme all season. And this time it just, we weren't able to overcome it. Gotcha, man. I appreciate your thought process. So brother Kelvin, man, what do you think? What's your thoughts on the game? Have a lot of thoughts. Uh, first thing that comes to mind is that we we lost that game in the first quarter. And Marcus hit on a lot of the points. Um, I, I, the first bullet for me is uh, special teams also. Um, they kick off the ball. We try to return it out of the end zone. We get it to the 13-yard line. So we started off in unfavorable field position. We run the ball three times. We pick up a first down. We run the ball again. I think we missed on a pass, and then, and then we run the ball to get pick up a second uh, first down. Just the first drive, offensive drive of FAMU. Then uh, we kind of abandon the run, and we start passing. Uh, have to punt the ball. Their offensive, their first offensive offensive possession. They drive down the field, and defense holds them to a field goal attempt on a fourth down inside the red zone. Their kicker is atrocious. That's the one area they're, told they're weak on. He missed two field goals. He's done it several other times in other games. Um, so I would think we picked that up on film, and they have a tendency to go for it on fourth down a lot, not just mm -hmm. against us. They've done it the whole season. Um, so I would have thought we would have been prepared and, and have, and, and so they, they do a fake field goal right up the middle, just simple trap. Uh, they, they, they saw our scheme. Um, they, I, I'm sure they saw some things on film that other people try and it worked to perfection. I mean, we vacated the area. They had us out number and the guy went in untouched. So now we're down seven, zero first quarter then we get the ball back it goes into the end zone again kickoff again tries to return the ball out of the end zone we get targeted at a 13 yard line again so now field position we losing the field position game so uh we do a, a couple of runs and they game plan was fairly simple they was going to try to make us one dimensional it appears to me they kind of watched the Jackson State game, but they didn't have the athletes to to enact the pass rush as consistently. Uh, but they, they, it was no doubt they were trying to limit our run game. And uh, they left their, their corners and DBs for the most part on the island, one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. And um, there were some throws there uh, that – you know, I don't know what happened. You know, there was a lot of drops. Uh, 
catchable balls that were dropped in that first, again, first quarter. Uh, so that second drive stalls, and uh, we're punting again. And um, they didn't actually score, I don't think, to the second quarter, but a drive by, by the end of the first quarter, they were in scoring position. And um, down 14-0, uh, I thought um, the play calling seemed like for FAMU, for us, panic. We were down 14-0, and, and we just abandoned the run. Uh, I think Jennings uh, uh, had one carry for the whole game. Um, I believe McLeod had about four. And Bishop had about nine for the entire game. We knew they were potent from an offensive standpoint. They could put up points. It was no surprise that they put up 30-some points. Um, but we did not control the time of possession. We lost that, too. Uh, in the first half, they had the ball around 19 minutes, close to 19 minutes. I think we had it, like, close to 11. So... Um, we, 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 we didn't run, we gave that offense multiple opportunities. Um, we only had one turnover, uh, in that first half, but we also got a turnover. Um, but offensively, we, I, I think we had less than a hundred yards. I know we had less than a hundred yards total offense in the first half. So the, our beginning between the special teams things and, uh, abandonment of the run uh, and, and losing field position and losing mm -hmm. time of possession against a offensive scheme that can attack any area of the field. Um, we just, we got beat by a better prepared team. Um, I will say that they were, they were faster than I thought they would be. They were, their DBs were, were, were pretty fast, and so the windows were tight, which is why I think sometimes the, some of those drop issues came um, because the guys were around. Um, you know, those windows were tight, but they still should have been caught balls at the end of the day. And um, I, I think that what I thought or perceived before the game to be the biggest mismatch ended up being their biggest strength, which was their defense against our offense. They had given up points all year, big time, and uh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, uh, against us, part of it was us, part of it was them. But um, they they shut that offense down in the first half. There's no other way to say it. At the end of the day, if you have less than 100 yards of total offense, which our defense has done to other teams, we know that they shut us down. So. Um, you know, uh, you know. That being said, I, I'll say this: it was an awesome season. I'm thankful for our coaches and our players, man. I thoroughly enjoyed, and um, you know, but I, I do think playing FCS PWCs out of conference during the regular season, I think a game like this shows its value. Uh, and, and, and I think we're gonna have to change our scheduling module just some. I think we need to schedule out of conference uh, PWC FCS every year regional. Right? You got Mercer, you got Kennesaw State, you got Stetson. There's a uh, several uh, K 
candidates. But I, I think in order us for us to get a better gauge outside of just swag football, that is in the best interest of our uh, student athletes, our coaches, and our and and our football program to to that to have a game like that. Um, and you know we used to do it. We used to have Georgia Southern uh, during the regular season. I know we played East, East Kentucky before regular season when UCF was a FCS program, one AA at the time. We played them, so it's not foreign to us. But uh, having, I also think that is having that game and having our fan base and our coaches and our players. You got to remember, we got first time coordinators at, on defense. This was their first year. They had an awesome year, right? Oh, but it was their first time. Mm-hmm. We got co-offensive coordinators um, who were working together for the first time. They did a really solid job, but uh, it was their first time as a team um, in, 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 in the FCS playoffs. So I think our coaches, our players, everybody will learn and, and benefit us next year should we have the same opportunity. Um, and you know, those are my general thoughts. Well, uh, I'm in total agreement with the both of you, uh, watching that opening drive from Southeastern Louisiana. Um, I felt like our defense did a good job and then the special teams just caused me to almost like lose it. Cause I was sitting up there and I was like, Oh my God, like here we are allowing another special teams big play. Um, Like my brother Marcus said, I remember the Alabama A&M fake punt from the 20-yard line. It's fourth and six. And we gave them a look from the punter to run six yards for a first down, you know, and he wasn't even fast or even <laughs> athletic. For me, I was like, wow. Like, how does that happen? Like, why are we letting that happen? Now, for me, it goes back all the way from to the 2018 season where um, I want to say uh, we were playing South Carolina State and South Carolina State managed to block a punt for a score. And then um, after we had gotten close, I want to say we had gotten within two points of South Carolina State, they returned the kickoff for a touchdown. The following year, we play a and and the opening, the opening kickoff goes for a touchdown. Um, so for me, this is a pattern that we have to break because special teams is an equally important part. You don't, it's, it's more than just making a field goal and getting a punt off. Special teams is blocking punts, which we haven't done, blocking field goals, which we haven't done. Um, it's also um, doing, now we have run a couple of fake field goals. We've run a couple of fake punts. We've been, uh, I want to say, successful in that regard. But uh, too often, even even during the Bethune Cookman game, the guy comes straight through the middle and blocks the field goal and they return it 
thank God they had a penalty on the play. Otherwise, that would have been an additional two points for Cookman. It's like we're just lining up and just doing stuff. And I know that Coach Simmons preaches details, but sometimes you just have to, I want to say, go through that learning curve. And for me, I would like to see an upgrade in that area because <laughs> it's costing us points. You take those 14 points off of the board, the fake field goal, and you take the, the fake punt for the touchdown, they only score 24 points. Okay? They only score 24 points. We would have been basically their lowest output of the year. Our defense did, I think, a pretty good job. Now, obviously, schematically, I know that we're going to grow in that area, and I know that we're going to grow in the offensive area. Now, going back to that, everything, everybody's hitting on that, but I must drive, continue to drive this point home. Bishop Bonnet, who's our leading rusher, only had nine carries. Nine carries. Um, McLeod only had four carries. Terrell Jennings only had one carry. We didn't even try to establish anything on the ground. And sometimes I know people are like, well, you didn't fool them. You don't have to fool people with a running game if you've got a good one. And we do have a good one. I'm like, it does two things. Um, number one, it gets our running backs in a rhythm. And it makes those guys have to tackle. Number two, you're going to burn the clock. We want to keep their offense off the field. We want to limit their touches. When you throw the ball and the ball is an incomplete pass, it stops the clock, therefore giving them more time to execute their playbook. You know, run the freaking ball. It might be boring, but if you get three yards a carry on third down, it's third down and four. That's very makeable, and it puts you in a posture where you don't have to necessarily be um, – predictable you can run the ball with the draw you can throw to the tight end you can throw to the running backs in college football um we don't have to necessarily make it complicated i think sometimes there's people and sometimes we overthink it to the point where we just have to outthink it. oh the play is there okay so then you got mckay throwing the ball 40 times in the game 40 now, in the Florida Classic, he only threw 23 times, and we still ended up scoring over 43 points. Why? Because we established the running game. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. establishing the running game during playoff time is, is key in a number of areas. I remember uh, even going back in the day when I started paying attention to this playoff ball and watching the old-school Youngstown State teams win multiple championships in a row. They just ran the ball. And it was with three-star talent or zero-star talent, so to speak. They just ran the ball. They just executed, hit people where they're supposed to hit them, getting three yards of carry, throwing the ball every once in a while, converting third down. You're not going to win championships if you don't convert third down. But if you put your quarterback in third and long situations all the time, it was cold, it was somewhat rainy, it was a little wet, you know, for me, that's all the more reason to run the freaking ball. I watched Michigan on Saturday play Ohio State, which to me still is a more athletic team. They didn't do anything special. What did they do? They ran the ball. They ran wheel routes. They ran sweeps. They ran draws. They ran dives. But they kept the ball on the ground. 
kept Ohio State's offense off the field, and they played good, solid defense. What happened? Michigan ended up winning the game. You don't have to do anything special or extremely extravagant to win at the postseason level. What you do have to do is execute. You know, a lot of, you know, we want to be fans. We want to do other stuff. It doesn't take anything special. And I know that, you know, um, Billy George made that statement that, you know, having a unique offense is, 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 is beneficial. And it is because when you're preparing for something like the Gulf Coast and you only have a week to prepare for it, it's not easy to prepare for. But there is no substitute for a solid running game. It doesn't matter if they know what's coming. Show me that you can stop it. And we just did not have a commitment to the running game. And for me, that was just like disappointing because that's the same thing, the same reason that we lost to Jackson State. We had running backs that were averaging over five yards a carry, but we turned the ball or turned the ball game over to our quarterbacks who hadn't played a game in two years against a defense that was hungry and thirsty to try to sack our guys. Now, mm-hmm. you know, I know wide receivers are good. I think that they're great in in, in areas. Um, but we don't have like 4-3, 4-2 speed when it comes to our wide receivers out wide. So we're not overwhelming people with breakaway speed. Um, we do force people when we catch the ball, we do force people to tackle our guys in space, but we had the drop seats. So it's kind of like, you know, we, we made enough mistakes to just give them extra possessions. And for me, that was just very disappointing. But for me, I feel like we lost the game primarily because of, um, you know, just our special teams blunders. Because if we stop them on that first drive, that, that means a lot right there. Um, any additional thoughts? Because then I want to hear yeah, something uh, that was no, coming from uh, Mark Willoughby from the Southeast Louisiana Sports Network. Yeah, while you look that up, Kofi, um, the other thing I wanted to point out was from a defensive standpoint, we didn't get off the field on third and fourth downs. Uh, when you look at the conversion rate, uh, I think third down, there was like 70, above 70%. Uh, and on fourth down, there was, there was close to 100%. I, I can't remember if they went for three or four of them. But pretty much, you know, the, the fake field goal, the fake punk. I mean, I mean, and, uh, three or four and uh, when uh, the quarterback ran, uh, I can, those three I remember, they converted all of those, right? So, so we – defensive, we didn't get off the field. We would do – a pretty good job on first and second down, but uh, third down um, s- seemed to be our Achilles heel. And I add to that, um, and I know we got to grow into that. I, I, you know, we are who we are. This was the 13th game of the year for us, basically. Uh, so, you know, but going into the offseason and going into next year, I do think that we may need to, not may, we're going to have to expand upon both our offense and defense schemes. Mm-hmm. We have to be a little less vanilla. We got to have more wrinkles. Uh, with a quarterback and an offense that dynamic, you can't show them um, pre-snap uh, the same look constantly and expect them not to find the gaps, right? I noticed every time we got pressure on the quarterback, 
he made bad throws or he didn't connect with his receiver. But we didn't blitz a whole lot, which is not really our MO because typically we we get pressure without having to blitz. Um, and, and and so uh, just like with any other quarterback, pressure up the middle, it, it throws off the timing of the routes. And um, they throw into a lot of spots, right? So mm. uh, I would like to see us add more diversity in our schemes. Um, I, I think that would, on both sides of the ball, right? Uh, having an offense where a quarterback can pre-snap, see for himself uh, what what defense is in and based upon what he's got played, whether he needs checks out to play or he knows what area to attack and what route and what receivers is in that area. Um, um, that's, that's our next challenge for us. You know, mm-hmm. we, are, we just got to get better um, at what we do. And I have to admit, that offense was a beauty th- beautiful thing to see uh, and, and how they ran it. It's very efficient. I mean, the guy, as much as they throw the ball, he completes over 70% of his passes. And a lot of them are not beyond 25, 30 yards. They're not, it's not like they bombing it in there. It's like a cut of a, uh, you know, of a thousand cuts, right? Devil with a thousand yeah. cuts. It's, it's more uh, what Brady does. Yeah, you know, and Kelvin, I want to get rid of the ball. So um, I, I just hope we picked up some of that also, and that we'll continue to, and I know we will, um, refine what we do. Mm-hmm. And Kelvin, I want to ask both of you and Kofi something. I was taking some notes when you're giving your reviews. So three things popped in my mind. Do you think we got a little nervous in the game? Because apparently Southeast Louisiana, this is like our second playoff appearance in the last, since 2019. So they had experience. And I saw a a pre-game article where the head coach said they were going to do some things different from what they did in terms of how they scouted or how, what some of their routine that they did in 2019, which, presumably may have been one of their first or second times in the playoffs. That's one question about nervousness, about our staff getting nervous. And you kind of alluded to it earlier. The other thing kind of ties into what you were just talking about, about diversifying our scheme. And I remember Coach Black had the NFL intern experience, but he missed like the first part of camp, of fall camp. So I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts on whether he had the time or inclination to be able to implement anything he learned or did they just roll with it? And maybe 2022 is when he can go fully deep into what it, what he learned with the Rams. And the, the third thing I noticed is that after the post-game interview, so that these topics are all kind of all over the board, but the interview, the quarterback said, yeah, the pressure didn't really get to me. But what I saw, and I don't know if I had my orange and green glasses on, shades on, but Isaiah Lane was getting around the corner, but he was getting just pushed enough either outside of the range, you know, just beyond the quarterback, or he would take a step up. But he was getting in the backfield. So he was, it's not like he was getting stopped at the line of scrimmage from what I recall. He was getting there. It's just like he was pushed a little wide, and there were a couple of times he had to got the guy had to step up into the pocket. We just didn't have enough pressure up the middle to kind of converge on him, at least in the first quarter. In the second in the second half, I think we got three or four sacks between um, General Hunt and um, 
and Savion Williams. But yeah, so but I thought Isaiah Land, he maybe not have gotten sacks, but I think he was close to impacting the game. But you know, I want to throw all that at. You do you think we got just our first time in the playoffs? Second, do you think we're going to see expanded playbook because time, okay. time, timing of when Coach Bray and then coming back and then trying to implement that halfway through camp? Well, I want to say, um, you know, every year has shown a lot of growth. I think that even if you see McKay's growth from the beginning of the year all the way to the end of the year, you've seen a lot of growth. We've seen expansion of the playbook as the season went along. Um, that being said, and I hate to bring this up, but I got to bring it up. Okay. Um, all right. So we had a quarterback freaking sign in the, in the off season last year, Ola Coden, who's playing the starting quarterback at South Dakota state. But of course our administration, um, and he was a grad student. So for me, I'm still puzzled as to how this guy did not get into school being that he was a grad student or why we didn't okay him to play. Cause I do believe we would have gone, we had a shot at maybe even going 11 and O and hosting that playoff game for real. And possibly, you know, we definitely would have been going to the celebration bowl, but Rattler nation would have been upset. Cause we would have been like, we didn't already beat South Carolina state. Why are we going back to the celebration bowl? That being said, <laughs> we would have, um, you know, we, the, the playbook would have been expanded. And I think that the wide receivers would have had an opportunity. That being said, not having Ola Coden gave us an opportunity to run the ball a little bit more. Now, it took about three games for us to see that we're not going to be a throwing team this year, which I felt like was too long because I saw first game was averaging five yards of carry. And even against South Florida, we were averaging over four yards of carry. The play does not have to be complicated. It does not have to be complex. You just have to hit people, put a hat on a hat, bust their head wide open, and get three yards. That's, it doesn't have to be super uh, complicated and because, you know, come playoff time, you're not really going to trick people a whole lot, a whole lot. You get one or two opportunities a game where you're going to be able to totally, like, fool people. Other than that, your offensive scheme is going to come down to your ability to execute when it's time. Catch the ball, run the ball, don't turn the ball over, and you got an opportunity to win. Um, you know, just going back to this, uh, and what was your second question? You asked another question. Oh, yeah, were we nervous? Uh, I don't know if we were nervous. Just I just think that it's just a lack of experience. I think just sometimes you don't know what you don't know until you, you come face-to-face with it. It's like I was having a conversation with somebody today about how when I used to play my grandmother, uh, Alice Peacock, in checkers, right? So I play her in checkers, man, and she would double jump me, triple jump me, quadruple jump me. I'd be like, Grandma, Grandma, can you let me win a game? She'd say, oh, no, baby, no. I ain't going to let you win a game now. I ain't going to let you win a game. Uh-uh. You're going to have to learn how to play, baby. You're going to have to learn how to play. So, look, after that, I started seeing the board from a different perspective. I learned what the Mason-Dixon line was. I learned how to recognize it. I learned how to make certain moves that would put me in situations where I was getting double jump, triple jump, quadruple jump all the time. 
I learned how to protect my men so we're able to extend long games based on my perspective of the board. Um, the good thing is uh, our coaches have the posture where they're always learning and they understand the necessity of learning because when you stop learning, you basically stop earning. We, we see that. I've seen that from Coach Simmons. I've seen that from the other coaches. I think that they're going to literally learn because what they saw on this weekend, and I'm sure that they're going to be watching the teams in the playoffs because, you know, they want to win. They want to get better. You know, and it's not anything necessarily complicated, but you want to put your players in position to have the best kind of success. You know, what does it mean? Because I'm I'm just dumbfounded every weekend that I watch the Patriots play football, right? Bill Belichick comes out here and does something to rookie QBs and shows them stuff. To me, it's just looking up, you know, I'm looking at the screen and like, okay, they're in a defense. But to them, to the rookie QBs, they're looking at something that apparently they have not seen before. And he always makes their um, their experience a living nightmare when they line up against them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'd be like, man, you know, Herbert threw like four, five interceptions and the score was like 45 to zip all because, um, you know, Bill Belichick made life miserable for him. So learning the game, is is necessary if you're going to go to the next level. I want to see our coaches have a Belichick kind of experience, um, you know, a Belichick type of knowledge when it comes to scheming up defensively and offensively. What does that mean to take the best player out of the game and make them do what we want them to do, make them go where we want them to go or make them go where we expect them to go? Um Isaiah Lamb will be back next year. So I totally expect his game to grow. Um, But, you know, again, you don't know what you don't know, and it's just time to grow. Uh, Kelvin? Yeah, and uh, we'll go to break after this. But the only thing I would add, and you you spot on, Kofi, uh, the only thing I would add, Marcus, is that so professional development is a necessity for everybody, no matter what your profession is. So I I think it's awesome that we, you know, our coaches are – or get the experience around pro teams and, and how they run in their camps and some of their schemes and, and they get exposed to that. Uh, that That is a win. That is a positive. Um, I don't think it would, had much effect and would have had much effect with this particular team, this particular season. Um, because we were just going into the season with a lot of new parts, a new starter at the QB position, um, mm-hmm. Knowing that we had talent and skills, but you know, new offensive line, you know, tackles and so forth. So you had to see it against competition first, anyway. And we happened to start out the, out the gate with a what turned out to be an elite defense, um, a team that did not lose to an FCS school, and we went toe to toe with them. Um, but this team, I don't think we could have added much more. As a matter of fact. Um, Coach Simmons talked about how he had to adjust. You know, he, he was more of an RPO type guy and, and how he adjusted his schemes to, to call and run plays and so forth and taking more of the RPOs out of the, out of the uh, game plan because of the um, skill sets of, 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 of the, sig- the signal caller and the line and then strength being uh, what it was with the running game. So uh, I, I think the coaches made 
good adjustments, and that's why we got to the playoffs, frankly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and now, now we've gotten through this season. Everybody got this, a year experience under their belt uh, with the current system, and we got so much returning. We just mm. had have to add to it. Now we can expedite that. Um, I think Rashawn is going to be hard to beat out because he's a winner. He's a leader. He stayed calm. He all, he's got talent. I mean, he, he can make all the throws. So now he's got huge hands, he can, man. He, he can get out of his head a little bit because he's been through a whole season, a successful season. Um, and now it's time for the coaches to put more on him and, and see if he can handle it. And then. Then you still got those young guys coming behind them, and and um, probably a transfer coming in. Iron sharpens iron. At the end of the day, so the the more competition, the better. Um, so uh, you know, I, I think this offense will be double as good as as it was next year, uh, because you know our running backs outside of Bishop are coming back. Our receivers are pretty much intact. Um, and I, I signal call this back. We lose a couple of guys off the line, but you know, mm-hmm. we should be solid, man. We got a lot of fight power coming back. Uh, all our tight ends are coming back. So, so, um, we just got to put our foot to the gas and, and, and guys, they, 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 they had a taste of it now, right? A postseason. And, and the speed of the game, right? And what an elite offense look like. We know what an elite defense. They they say elite uh, an elite defense every every uh, day in practice, right? But we hadn't really played a whole bunch of elite offensive that was that efficient. And so now we got a taste of that also. So I think that bodes well for for the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kelvin. And so after these messages, as they say on Saturday morning, we'll be right back with some more. ONG Strike Zone. Tell the neighbor, tell a friend, like and share. We'll see you all in a couple of minutes. God bless. Q Time is a classic Atlanta soul food restaurant located in the historic West End. Q Time Soul Food is a family business started by Fred and Christine Crenshaw. Come on in, relax, and sink your chops into our tantalizing, mouth-watering, distinctive soul food with a twist, the Q Time way. 1120 Ralph David Abernathy Boulevard or call your order in at 404-758-2881. Do you miss your mama's cooking? Then come on down to Q-Time, an Urban Passport member. For 200 years, Montgomery, Alabama has been making history by people who had the courage to stand up for change. Today, this riverfront city has been reborn, embracing the past and looking forward to the future. From the National Memorial for Peace and Justice to the stage of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival. This is where history was and is made. We are proud to call Montgomery home, and together we can be the change. Nope. Nope. Come on, him? Ooh, I like him. The quicker picker-upper. Bounty picks up messes quicker, and each sheet is two times more absorbent, so you can use less. He's an eight. He's a nine. Bounty, the quicker picker-upper. 
Now you can live in Texas and not have a good red meat blend. Texas Cowboy Dust is designed for steak and other red meats. It's out to be my most popular spice blend, made with onions, peppers, ground mushrooms, pink salt, and other spices. Texas Cowboy Dust also goes great with chicken, pork, vegetables, and has a restaurant quality sheen to gravies and sauces. It's like a loot machine. Vanilla smoked sea salt seasoning is for seafood. The tarragon and fennel bring out the natural sweetness in seafood. I also use it in rice dishes, on yams, asparagus, blueberry pancakes, and believe it or not, chocolate chip cookies. Vanilla smoked sea salt adds a salty and savory component to sweet dishes that create a symphony for the tongue. The Cuvée Group is a Florida-based marketing and training consulting firm. We help businesses communicate to their target audience and engage them in conversation. We also help to expand their audiences, which will ultimately result in growth for those organizations. In addition to being a certified constant contact specialist, my colleagues and I are also certified in John Maxwell Leadership Principles. We use these proven principles to conduct workshops, training, and private coaching sessions for individuals and companies looking to take things to the next level. Contact us to schedule a free consultation. Issues today, don't delay, call Cuvée. Greetings, everybody. We're back with the ONG Strike Zone. Thank you so much for joining us. My camera had a life of its own. This is Kofi. I'm down here with Kelvin and Marcus. And uh, we're going to finish our conversation regarding the whole playoff scenario and the playoff game. And um, so I wanted to go into something real quick that came from uh, the southeastern Louisiana, um, I want to say, sports information of the guy that actually um took the time to he's the uh not sports information but he does their play podcast with the slu sports network so he said you know hey thanks for reaching out i talked to uh, frank last night who's the coach and he said he was very complimentary of famu and thought that they were as advertised talent wise so if you watch the game, just talent-wise, we were right there. I mean, <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of differential with speed. We matched up well with them. So he said he thought that we were as advertised and very well coached. From our standpoint, we played harder on defense than we did versus even Nichols. I would add that FAMU is more traditional offensively than what we usually see in our league and the QB didn't have any run or scramble tendencies. Okay. We're pretty good when we know where the QB is going to be in the pocket. He's easier to pass rush and play more aggressively on the back end. Offensively, we can move the ball and score on anybody, but that shouldn't take away from FAMU's ability on defense. They were as advertised. 
We just executed well enough at times and did what was needed to pull away. We know we played a good team, and we were fortunate to come away with the W. Any thoughts? Yeah, the first thing I'll say is uh, absolutely uh, defensively, uh, Mark, uh, uh, Marquise had an awesome game, right? He had mm -hmm. 16 tackles, I believe, and I think they were all pretty much solo. He caused a fumble when the quarterback scrambled one time, but it bounced right back to him. Um, he had another big hit with uh, a guy on the sideline on the pass and and um, had the crowd ooing and on. Uh, he was all over the field making plays. And, of course, he made his announcement official. We all knew it was coming. But he, uh, mm -hmm. on his uh, Twitter, Instagram, he put out that, you know, he's uh, – because he had an option he because of the COVID year. Everybody gets a COVID year pass, so he, he had an option to come back. But he's uh, declaring for the NFL, and he's already accepted and, uh, you know, been accepted to uh, some of the postseason games and so forth. He's a finalist along with Isaiah Lamb for uh, defensive, National Defensive Award still. So, uh, you know, there's nothing more for him to prove. Uh, he's got enough film over the last couple of years, and especially this year, that he, he's a guy that's going to get drafted. So he was as advertised. I thought Antoine Collier, the other safety, yes. had a really strong game. Uh, I mean, and, and unfortunately, unfortunately, how you look at it, our two DBs, uh, safeties at that, uh, pretty much been our leading tacklers most of the year. Um, that's not ideal. Now we they don't play traditional, all right. You know we do put them at the line. We blitz them and and do some 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 different things with them. So so, but they always around the ball. And so um, I, I I thought him and Collier uh, really did themselves a great service against uh, you know what's thought to be a draft a quarterback that's definitely gonna get drafted and an offense that is elite. Um, I thought Jonathan Hunt, you know, as Marcus alluded to, he had a couple of sacks. Uh, now, the one thing I did say him. we didn't get into about Isaiah Land, uh, he was around the ball. Uh, he did make some tackles, uh, could have been tackles allowed, but that quarterback, you know, was hard to bring down. Uh, but more than anything, the people who were there live would definitely can tell you. He could have been uh, the guy seventy four. The offensive tackle that was blocking him could have been called for holding every series. And I mean, it, it was blatant. It wasn't like you know, well, you know, some this gonna happen. No, it was a it was a big time holding going on. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, hey, that's where the cookie crumbles. But I have to put that out there, man. They they got they got they got away with elite holding. Uh, and <laughs> most of it was specifically against him, but the defense, the defense showed up. Uh, the, the playmakers, the Savion, you talk, all the our playmakers played. They made plays, right? Even um, a bowler, he got called for a couple of pass interference, man, and and I'm like, ah, whatever. I mean, he was, he was there, you know, and I thought it was close enough where you know, but uh, you know. He, and he had some some pass breakups and so forth. So, 
again, we just didn't move the ball, didn't put enough production. We kept the defense out there too long. And then the, the mm-hmm. only real issue with the defense thing was that we didn't get off the field on third and fourth downs. Yeah. Right. And, uh, South uh, Louisiana does a good job. What I was impressed with watching our game and even their, their um, the cut-ups on YouTube, they do a good job of getting their dudes in space, like having somebody misdirection plays or having a tight end um, kind of hesitate, fake a block, and then he'll go to a vacated space. And if we're playing straight up man and then you have a delayed tight end, you know, coming out in the flat after – or they, they had their running back out in the flat when we're playing man a lot. So it's like they're – key and like you were saying the earlier they don't i think maybe one or two passes i remember them throwing a bomb and i think bj bowler was checking them one time and he overthrew it but they're both everything is 20 yards or below but they do a great job of getting somebody in space by vacating it by scheme and having somebody come underneath or somebody that's unchecked on some kind of delay route or wheel route when we're playing a specific defense and i think that's what all those big chunk plays came from. Right. And, um, you know, so just all of that, but I think even with coach Simmons offense, we haven't seen the full thrust of it because, you know, Ryan wasn't necessarily a track athlete and neither is, um, the guy that we currently have there right now. So, when you get a true dual threat quarterback that can um, get people off of the mark and make people have to defend differently, I think that people will see schematically um, what this offense really can do. And uh, we've got people there. It's just going to be a matter of seeing whether or not these guys have the ability to unseat McKay. And that's going to be tough. As Kelvin said, that's not going to be easy. If you unseat McKay, I'm telling you, you you have an elite QB that is playing at that position because McKay has grown and will continue to grow into this position. Um, the other thing that he said was, because the question was asked, um, hey, you know, your defense and your special teams, uh, coaches and players did a great job. The fake punt, and field goal were perfectly timed and executed. And um, so we have been talking. He mentioned that, you know, of course, I've been talking about the whole thing, special teams, all year long because I have. But he said, you know, we've been talking about it all year long. We need to be better and came back to bite us. And he said, yeah, you know, the fakes are automatic based on the looks that we get. So we had the right look on the running in uh, on the running into the punter before the fake punt. That's why we took the penalty. Had we gotten a different look, we would have punted again. But we got the same look, so we ran the fake. This little things, this little details came back to bite us, you know, in the condition. But you know, uh, as I've stated all, um, I want to say all show long. I know that we're going to grow from this. I know that we're going to learn from this. And that's really going to be the good thing, which, um, of course, leads us into our next conversation. Do you think that the playoffs are beneficial for our team? That's the first question. And B, do you prefer the Celebration Bowl or the playoffs? Uh, Kelvin, I'll go with you first. A big question. Um, 
Well, first of all, I, I'll say the company line. We're we're in the swag, and our champions go to the Celebration Bowl, and that has been renewed for another five, six years. And so Jackson State will be playing South Carolina State in the Celebration Bowl. And we understand, you know, there are financial uh, guarantees with that as to why that game came about and why and why the conferences made that decision. Um, and I'm okay with uh, that game, um, you know, but I'm a rapper. And uh, because we've had experience of the 7-8 National Championship and and I was at the airport when the team came back and the crowd uh, at the airport, Rudy, Rudy got that booty in. And I, I, I went through those <laughs> Billy Joe years when um, when uh, we were making those runs. I, you know, we was up in Troy and George Southern and Appalachian State, all teams that who are now FBS, um, mm -hmm. and leveraged their success in the FCS playoffs to transitioning to FBS. So I, Rattler Nation, I understand. One size don't fit all. I, I do believe FAMU um, with our tradition and our experience in competing against uh, uh, FCS, PWC, and participating in the playoffs and, and having success uh, puts us in a different position than most HBCUs. Now, from a financial standpoint, what I would say is that um, having multiple tie-ins is good for everybody, right? So it shouldn't be an either-or thing. Either playoffs or either celebration bowl, and that's it. As Coach Simmons has mentioned on multiple occasions, I think Coach Prime, too, uh, and, and the way it's done at the FBS level, you want as many tie-ins to postseason play as possible. That's what the uh, Missouri Valley and uh, Big Sky did with the FCS playoff. They got five teams in, right? Uh, so I, I think um, I, 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 I prefer, I'm just saying, I, I prefer having um, the model that we had prior to when we had the Heritage Bowl. I would like to see our best teams compete in the FCS playoffs, right? Um, and then uh, have our next teams participate in the uh celebration bowl or you can we work it several other ways a lot of people think it's, it's a dream but i think the ncaa is pretty desperate now i would object i i think maybe you present to the ncaa if you guarantee both conferences a first round celebration bowl type matchup uh where the winner of me and swag play each other in the in the uh playoffs and, but but in order for that even to happen, they agree with that. They got to agree to also the monetary part of it, because it is uh, it is a a, a sham of of how they do and fund the FCS playoffs at the expense of the schools who host. Um, so that that model is obsolete and dead, and it has to be changed. So I get that part of. It. But that being said, who would want to see Jackson State? playing a Kennesaw State in the first round. I think they deserve it, man. I, and it, 
and, and and the more times and the more teams you have participate, the better chance you have in winning. And the more you win, the more respect and the more visibility you get from your peers um, throughout uh, the FCS landscape. And so now you get into we we've got to get to a point where the team's not participating in the celebration ball. I'm talking about short term. I'm talking about next year. And yeah, while we still in the current arrangement, we got to get to a point where the swagging swagging me at deserve, are deserving and have multiple teams that can get out at large bids. So I think that's the importance of what fam you did, um, and, and kind of busting the cherry, so to speak. Uh, for the swag with the at-large playoff, and um, and and um, I, I think uh, ultimately winning a national title uh, is, is is where it's at. Marcus, I'm kind of in the same boat, and like me and uh, Kevin go way back, you know, back when Billy Joe was running things and hooking up at the playoff games and going to those. So I think. I saw an article that came out either yesterday or the day before, I think from HBCU, not game day, but the other one. And it talked about the plan all along was they had multiple postseason games for the SWAC. Because you see all this vitriol and everything else all week long about, oh, y'all going to the, you know, the same stuff. We've been here for 20 years. I, I won't repeat it, but there's pro playoff and anti playoff because of money, because you're trying to prove yourself to, PWCs, all this other stuff, but I enjoyed the playoff. I mean, it was nerve wracking, but just to be at family at those times and watch those games and see the progression and see the competition level and how it got perfected to the point where we made the semifinals and perhaps could have made the finals if you know something would have broken right. But also see the financial point. And it kind of ties in a little bit what we talked about before and what we're going to talk about after with recruiting. Well, you recruit because you want to recruit the best players, but do you have that carrot at the end of the season where somebody wants to go to your school based on where you could potentially end up? And if you have limited choices, then that may have a domino effect in terms of limited recruitment or limited appeal during recruitment. And the other thing is I thought about Kelman was talking. We just talked about Isaiah Land going up against that tackle for Southeast Louisiana. And when you have a step up in talent, when you go to the playoffs, as compared to as compared to a wider swath of talent and uh, types of schemes that you're going to face, I would imagine that general NFL is going to look at your regular season film gauging against your competition. But then also when you get to the playoffs and you're playing teams in FCS playoffs who are like a James Madison or North Dakota State who have had people either as free agents or first, second, or third day draft picks, they're going to evaluate how you play against them. And so not having that opportunity kind of limits – the evaluation of a particular player against a certain skill set or skill level. So I'm kind of on the fence of both. I see the, the benefits of both playoff by, by in terms of accolades for improving your team, having a, a mark or at least a goal to reach towards as it relates to 
elevating your team, your program to a certain level. And then also I see the financial benefit because we know that, you know, for a lot of things for, in the playoffs that reports we've seen and everything else that the model is, you know, you have to put in a guarantee and the NCAA, at least the last time I looked at it when they had their NCAA playoff manual a couple of years ago, you have to guarantee a certain percentage, a very high percentage of your gate plus a guarantee or a bid. And you have to do that for every round. And for the teams who continually, like in North Dakota State or James Madison, they have a little uh, uh, war chest, I'm assuming, or some boosters or a combination of both to be able to weather that storm to put in bids plus a certain percentage of the guarantee for their ticket sales for hosting a game. And they've been able to do that for years for whatever reason, you know, however they fund it. But that's may or may not be sustainable for HBCU at the FCS level. So that means we're always the road dogs unless we continually have teams like in the 90s, late 90s, where we actually got to host a game against Troy in 98. So there's a lot of tentacles to that thing. And the other aspect of it is um, – and I know we, we want to get playoff ready by playing PWCs in the regular season. But the way the model has been set up, at least from A.D. Gaucher and maybe even before that, you know, we would play a regional D2, you know, based on the trickle-down effect, you know, the ecosystem in college football where we would allow a regional D2, usually HBCU, we'll pay them to come to help their department. We'll play it a power five or FBS team. So that'll infuse some cash into ours. And then we'll play one FCS team. And these first couple of years after we leave the SWAC, we're playing a former MEAC member. So maybe that spot rotates, but you have to also look at the, our historical attendance when we play PWCs and whether we're going to get that cash infusion versus a familiar opponent and how that plays into our scheduling as well. So there's a lot of things that it could branch off into as it relates to schedule, how it goes in the playoffs, how it goes into recruiting. You know, what do we recruit for and what carrot do we have to dangle at the end of the season to sell to recruits that, hey, you know, you can go to the Celebration Bowl, which is on ABC, first bowl game of the season, which is great. And, you know, the winner and uh, the non-winner get money for their conference. So there's the financial aspect and exposure there or the other model as it currently stands with the NCAA FCS playoffs. All right. So <laughs> let me first get say, ready, folks. Get ready. <laughs> let me first I'm, I'm say. I'm holding off the table. All right. Hold on. Bucky, your safety belts and all that stuff. Let me first say this. Um, Pop Warner has playoffs. Pop Warner has freaking playoffs. Middle school in Leon County has playoffs. High school has playoffs. So now we're going to come to the collegiate level and no playoff. The NFL has playoffs to determine its champion. Now, I've heard the whole money argument, right? It's like, okay, well, the money is, you know, just not not lucrative and everything, and it just makes it, it's just the loss for our HBCUs. Well, freaking plan, people. Plan. We spent, we had 33,000 people 
for homecoming. 33,000, most of which are paying $50 a freaking ticket. In addition, there are an additional 20 to 30,000 people outside the stadium. I'm like, okay, so how do you monetize the nations of people that are right there? Okay, we had 36,000 people coming to our homecoming back in 79. That's the record versus Tuskegee. We actually lost the game. But nobody's um, <laughs> not talking about that game. But what I am going to say is you cannot change what you do not confront. Okay, so the system is not working for us financially. So how long are we going to be quiet about it? Because I can tell you right now that our players want to play in the freaking playoffs. And if you go to Jackson State, their players want to play in the playoffs. And if you go to any of these schools, even among the HBCUs, if you ask them what they want to do because they've been conditioned for playoffs since Pop Warner, they want to play in the playoffs. So we're going to rob them because we're too cowardly to confront the Power 5 system or the Power 5 structure in the NCAA, in the NCAAs. I'm saying I'm sick of that. And if we don't get up in their face or say something at this particular time, it's going to remain the same. Mm -hmm. The research has already been done. You know, let's talk about, you know, the, the NCAA basketball tournament starts at a certain day, right? It starts at a certain time. And guess who? We have a tournament and the tournament winner goes to the tournament, the major tournament. And then for the teams that are not even on that level, they don't win it or they had a great season, they give them the freaking NIT. They're still in another playoff. So why are we sitting around just allowing the NCAA to not monetize it or let them get away with it? Because there is a way for us to monetize it. We just need to have that discussion. Okay? Do we bring additional sponsors in just like they do with the Bulls? Hey, Bulls, guess what? Y'all want to try to make some more money? Let's sponsor some of these here playoff games. Let's get some more money in here so that we can uh, help your business to advertise and grow. Because guess what? The money would come through the HBCUs because we're going to follow our teams. And you're going to get at least 16000 into each and every playoff game. You know? So why are you penalizing? Again, nobody's asking the question. To the NCAA, why are you freaking penalizing Grambling and Southern for playing on the weekend where they're going to make the most money at their gate? It's ridiculous. And we're quiet about it. You know, but the Power Five gets to do whatever they want to do. And that's where they canceled us out in the late 70s with the whole TV deal and the CFA and all that. They kept transforming and transforming because that's what they wanted us to do. But if we don't get a seat at that table, we end up Again, on the silent end of the stick. Playoffs are in every area. We got playoffs in basketball. We got playoffs in freaking baseball. We got playoffs in softball. There are playoffs in bowling. There's playoffs in golf. There's playoffs in tennis. There's playoffs in every freaking sport. Why, SWAC? Why would we sit up here and just continue to uh, push the narrative that we're not capable? Or, A... It's not financially beneficial. Let's figure it out. Let's have a conversation. Let's push the narrative, even if we've got to bring some more PWCs in there because, hey, if they're losing money and we all come to the table together, 
we can figure this thing out. But if we just all out there and it's like, no, well, you know, we just going to sit over here and, you know, we just going to sit down and we making our money with the celebration boat. No, as Kelvin said, then that was perfect. That seemed like it made perfect sense. You know, Celebration Bowl hosts the Miak Swag team. The Miak Swag team automatically goes into the playoffs. You know, that's first round right there in the A. You know, but you can't tell me that FAMU and Kennesaw State and Atlanta at uh, at the Georgia State Stadium or one of those states would not sell out. <laughs> so, Kofi, do, yeah, I mean, we do have true football fans. What, what was the question? What do you have? Do we have true football fans or event attendees? I believe as far as Rattler Nation is concerned, we've got true football fans. If you look at the average attendance at the playoff games, nobody drew over freaking 7,000 people. And I think I'm pushing it with the 7,000. Nobody came close to draw over 7,000 mm. people. The average, the worst game at Bragg is going to be 10. That's yeah, I think I saw something worse. Maybe yeah, now. I think I saw something that um, I think and the game in Southeast Louisiana had the highest attendance that we don't know. What were you saying? I think the game in Southeast Louisiana had the highest attendance. I think it was like forty five hundred out of the, all these first round oh, games. Oh man, you telling me that Bragg? So again, let me address this aspect of it as well because we could not have put in a bid that was worth anything. You know, Bragg, if you do the math, somebody get a calculator and just run these numbers, right? So Bragg, on average, we average 16,000 people a game. So they say this year, 16,000 times $40 a ticket. What is that number? Six hundred sixteen thousand times 40. 640,000, I think. Let me double check. That's $640,000. So let's add... Um, and this is going to have to change anyway. So Rattler Nation just need to get ready. At Southern, we had to pay $20 for parking at on campus. The whole campus just to get on and park on Southern University's campus was $20. So let's say they have 10,000. How many parking spaces? Kelvin knows this. How many parking spaces are there, FAMU? Well, at the stadium, there's, there's a thousand. But, you know. Okay, so the stadium. But I'm talking about just, let's say, Tucker Hall, the parking garage, um, the parking spaces in front of the gym, um, the architecture building. How many spaces would you, and SBI, how many spaces would you say we got? For a football game day, I think, I, you know, that inventory probably somewhere in the 1,700 range. So let's say 1,700 times 20 is what? What's that number, if you don't mind? 1,700 times 10 is $17,000. Double that. That's $36,000. That does not include concessions or any of those additional numbers. So for a bid of 400000 or 500000 we should have been able to host the game. Ooh, that's a steep bid. I don't know if you go that high, but... Uh, but I'm just but, saying, uh, for for that uh, type yeah, of bed, I mean, because they only had 4,000 people, right? Yeah. 4,000 no, people at $40 a ticket. They, South Say Eastern what now? is going in the hole to host that game, right? They lost money. Right. And, and so 
You know what has happened. All you got to do is pay attention to what Troy Georgia Southern did, what Sam Houston State and Jam, James Madison doing now. The reason they're leaving FCS, frankly, is because of, 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 of the money model at the FBS level. They can generate more money revenue-wise, even though it's more expensive to operate, but but the revenue potential is bigger than the expense potential as uh, long as you stay within your budget, budgets. And so we've watched Central Florida and, and um, South Florida and all these other programs come and tr transition to FBS, FAU, FIU, um, and, um, of course, the, the, the old Southern Conference. And now we got four of the top teams in the uh, FCS now transitioning, going to FBS next year. So I, I think your point is excellent, right? Um, if we do it right, if we, 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 we can't be absent from the table, the NCAA table, right? We can't take our ball and go home. Say, well, we're just going to do our own thing and stay in our own. We're going to be a big fun fish in our own private pond. Um, and, and, and to me, that's the mindset of uh, just having the, 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 the uh, position of play uh, celebration bowl only. Right? I think there's a much bigger picture, picture that, that's there. And uh, we just need to help drive where we want this thing to go. Um, right. Just like we drove the just like we drove the, the deal for the celebration bowl. Let's drive the the, the whole FCS playoffs um, deal with which eight with HBCU involvement. Right, because I think you know, Jess, you are what you negotiate, and it's yep. time for all of us to really, and that's PWIs included, to change the narrative of you know how much money uh our teams are allowed to make they do it in basketball because we're all in the same pool you know so how do we monetize it and how is it going to be beneficial financially for our institutions at large yeah we want to play for a championship but it also needs to be financially uh lucrative for us i mean we're in this if it's a business we can't just sit it back and allow the NCAA to continue to make all the money while our schools go broke. That's 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 silly. And I, I think agree. that that's that's not smart on our end. But at the same time, if we don't put ourselves at the table and become a part of this conversation, you're dealing with the same foolishness that we've allowed. Um, so the SWAC, the MEAC, the 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 OVC, the Big South. The Atlantic Sun, the 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 Southland, all of these conferences need to come together and just just admit, okay, so this is not working financially. Let's find a way, whether it be through sponsorships, whether it be through um, private deals or whatever, find a way to monetize the playoff system so that our schools are not going into the into the hole. All right. So well, well before said. segregation, well, what well, well said, Kofi. I agree, and um, let's 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 go into uh, the break. And on the other side of the break, what we'll talk about is uh, our, our volleyball team. We'll get into some football recruiting where we are with Marcus, and um, we'll give an update on on men's basketball. They had a home game 
today and it's, it's final. But uh, I'll give the score an update on that on the other end of this break. Take That'll out, work, bro. man. We'll see you all in a few minutes. Tell the neighbor, tell a friend to turn into, tune into the ONG Strike Zone. Let's go. Since 2002, Empowerment Resources, Inc., a nonprofit organization, has empowered more than 1,500 youth and adults in Duval and surrounding counties. Through its programs, Journey into Womanhood, Girls Mentoring, Life Skills for Teens, and Parenting Education Coaching. To get involved with programs, volunteer, or donate, visit www.empowermentresourcesinc.org. Follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash empowerment.resources and instagram.com forward slash empowermentjax. It's never too early to plant the seed, to share the tradition, and instill a sense of pride in your HBCU with your little ones. HBCU Pride and Joy Children's Boutique helps you share your school spirit with a wide selection of adorable kids' apparel and accessories officially licensed from your favorite HBCU. Visit HBCUPrideJoy.com and follow us on all social media at HBCU Pride Joy on Facebook and Twitter. Are you hungry for authentic Caribbean food? Like jerk chicken, oxtail, red snapper, shrimp, tofu, and rasta pasta? Well, find your way over to Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, 180 Auburn Avenue, right next to Royal Pika in downtown Atlanta. Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, open daily from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. And on Friday and Saturday, we're open till 4 a.m. Come to Mango's and put some spice in your life. Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, 180 Auburn Avenue, right next to Royal Peacock in downtown Atlanta. For more info or directions, call 404-698-3992 or log on to mangoscaribbeanrestaurant.com. For instant coupons, text M-A-N-G-O-S to 313131. Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, authentic Caribbean cuisine. Welcome back to the ONG Strike Zone. This is Kofi Hemingway along with Brother Kelvin and Brother Marcus. And fellas, our volleyball team has been smoking hot all year long and they won the swag tournament and now they get a first round matchup in Gainesville versus the University of Florida so you know we got to be ready obviously on our P's and Q's but this is an amazing opportunity for our girls I believe at the beginning of the year we split sets with uh, Florida State University so there's no doubt that our girls can play on this level so Marcus so what are you thinking about our chances I think we have a good chance. Um, I think uh, just based on – I haven't seen Florida play. And actually, it's probably the most volleyball I've watched since, like, high school when I was you know, in PE or something. But, you know, I'm just, like, watching every game. I'm like, man, they are right. good. And just, you know, seeing the record, I think we're, what, 25-6 and six or 24-6. and six. So we have, like, a 800 winning percentage. So it'll be interesting to see. I don't know what style – uh, Florida plays or, you know, what their athletes look like compared to ours. But I think we've got more than a fighting chance. I mean, just from the experience, because we have a, you know, a few seniors, a few who came back for the COVID year. And 
you know, planting them in their place, I don't think that'll be, I don't think that'll be a big factor because they've played, gotten their upsets earlier in the season playing away. And plus the experience and going through the grinder with, you know, a tough UAPB and a tough Jackson State team just in the SWAT, in addition to the early season schedule that you got when you guys interviewed uh, Coach Gilcon and how he talked about he wanted to get some regional powers to get ready for the for the NCAA tournament. He did exactly that. So I think there won't be any nervous factor here. So it'll be it'll be a good match. I think the Gators will probably be they'll have to work. They'll have to earn it. Obviously, Kelvin. Yeah, so this was a best-case scenario for FAMU Volleyball, and, and it's that way for many reasons. So there were 16 seeds uh, that hosting. Florida is the number 16th seed. So we're getting to play two hours from our campus against the lowest, uh, the highest-ranked seed, depending on how you look at it, but the number 16 seed, right, host. And they ship um, Florida State to the Midwest. So there's three teams in this regional uh, with us, three Florida schools and then South Alabama. When we played South Alabama at, uh, as part of – that's one of our out-of-conference losses. They had a tournament there. Um, two other teams we played out-of-conference also won their conferences and are in the playoffs. So we have played four teams, if you include the, the, the preseason game against um, uh, Florida State that are in postseason play. So we have that experience. We've uh, we beat one, uh, two, and then we lost to South Alabama and Florida State. So I think we like two and two if you count, count that. So the University of Florida played Florida State in volleyball this year. They lost 3-1. When we played Florida State, our first preseason game, we lost 3-1. Um, South Alabama, who's also in this regional, we did get sweet by them. That was like the first tournament we, we participated in. Um, but all the, all the games were close. Um, I think the biggest margin was uh, 25-20, one set. But all was like 25-23, 25-22. We was in the game. And again, this team was new at that point. So I think it's very realistic that we would we would definitely be competitive. But I think it's not out of the question that we can win a match. Uh maybe two. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's very real possible. So so um you know, Gainesville's area where we have a alumni chapter and some rattlers, and so it is it, it's, it's a place where we can get some fan support also. So um, I know Coach had mentioned if Florida State didn't host, then he thought that that was the next place or Georgia Tech. Well, Georgia Tech is a high seed, right? They've been killing people. So to have not even getting that, go go that route, well, it's just fortunate. So I, 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 I'm, I'm very happy for the girl. They earned it. They deserved it. They did. And Coach' um, strategy of how he said he wanted to prepare this team. How he set up his <clears throat> his uh, out of conference schedule in the early part of the year, it's like prophetic. It couldn't it couldn't get no better. You playing one of the teams you set up, 
in the same region in the postseason. So uh, obviously, kudos to him and his staff and the, and, and the team. They've done a wonderful job. And uh, Rally Nation, we, let's make sure those who can go out there and support support them and help them through this tournament. Wow, man. Well, for the record, man, our team is in the midst of a 12-match winning streak. We've won 12 in a row. Um, the Rattlers are 25-6, and 14-2 and two in the conference, and we're working um, – we're working towards again getting to that next round, being able to get that to the second round of the NCAA tournament. Coach Goquan uh, secured his 50th as a head coach um, with a 3 0 decision over Alcorn State on October the 10th. So he's compiled 17 victories in a single season at Charlotte and uh, 46 at the helm of FAMU. So um, we played the University of Florida four times. Uh, in the tournament, they defeated us 3-0 in all of them from 2001, 2004, 2006, and 2008. Um, and uh, we do have a common opponent, but Florida played Auburn and beat them like 3-0. Uh, and Florida State managed to get uh, a set off of the University of Florida. So we got our work cut out, but hey. We're in it to win it. I think our girls have an opportunity to to to, to uh, perform at a high level, man. So I'm looking forward to that, man. Yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to that. I think it's on that. ESPN+. Plus. So, what do you say now? I think it's on ESPN+. Plus. Well, you know what? Um, you know, I think even with our Olympic sports, I do want to see – Rattler Nation be able to expand its reach and, you know, just follow the girls as much as we can. Basketball, softball, baseball, tennis, you know, and we just get a reputation of bringing a thousand people just about everywhere, 500 to a thousand people. I think people will be just about sick of us, but I think it's a way <laughs> for us to take the athletic department and our reach to the next level because we'll be able to attract recruits who are going to see the level of support and the amount of support that uh, FAMU is able to generate, of course, with our brand. So, man, I'm excited about this volleyball tournament, and let's go Rattlers. Um, we got our basketball game. Kelvin, what's that final score? So we played uh, Fort Valley State, another D2 opponent. Uh, we did win the game. Uh, the final score was 76 to 64, I think. Um, that was at home in uh, the friendly confines of the Lawson Center. So that was our second win of the year. But both our wins have been against non-Division One opponents. So we have to – I'm looking forward to us getting that first out-of-conference win uh, over a Division One opponent. And we have some more opportunities coming up. Uh, our losses against Kentucky State and University of Miami, uh, Kentucky, the uh, Kansas State. I'm sorry, that was a competitive game. Miami, I thought we could have played a lot better. And then, uh, then we had one out there at uh, California Bakersfield. I think it was one of those West Coast schools that I thought was a winnable game. We kept it respect, respectable at the half, but ultimately we, we lost that by double digits. And that that's a that's the type of game that uh, I, I think with a, a senior laden squad that we got to 
start to pull off some of those victories. Um, so I'm hoping to see that. Also, the uh, the girls' team uh, are off to a rough start. You know, uh, they had a game at Dayton yesterday uh, and lost by double digits again. So they're 0-5 on the season, and we just got to continue to support them and be there for them, and and um, they'll get better as 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 they play more together, and and and, and this coach, you know. First year coach, she fires up foot in and so forth. So I, I'll be interested to see what he looked like in January. And then the and back to volleyball real quick. So the the game is tomorrow at a at a at, in Gainesville at seven p.m. And then the second round games will be Friday. So uh, for those who uh, can make make the trip uh, to to the stadium, then. Um, Thursday and Friday in Gainesville. That's where you catch Rattler volleyball. Man, we're we're excited about it, man. Anytime you you have an opportunity to make it to the postseason, it's quite an accomplishment. Just getting through the regular season, I don't think people really truly realize um, the level of competition that our girls had to go through in the SWAC tournament. I mean, each of those rounds um, were very hard fought rounds. Uh, and the final was just back and forth like never before. So, you know, and volleyball is quite exciting. You want to get your nerves up. You want to get your heart racing. Watch some good volleyball, and you'll you'll definitely see that. Um, and so we Whole got season. you know football season is over, but our athletic season is not over. Rattler Nation, and so we are looking forward to everybody supporting and getting behind our athletic teams. I cannot express this enough. I mean, obviously. COVID had us at home and people putting up them cardboard faces and, you know, <laughs> in the thing. It's nothing like being there um, and being there and as an athlete, having people behind you to cheer you on. I want to get to the point where we're seeing Lawson um, 75, 80%, 100% feel. We haven't even 100% filled it up against Bethune. So <laughs> that's just an area where we just have to treat and find that love and commitment for our basketball programs the same way we do um, behind our football program. And I think that as we do that, we'll be able to to grow. Let's not wait till LeBron son comes and plays for the Rattlers for us to start supporting this team. <laughs> um, now, <laughs> now, I mean, even behind Coach Pillow, I mean, there is a process and there's a learning curve for her. Um, Marcus, how long do you think it's going to take before we start seeing some dividends, some real Rattlerette, as we used to call them, dividends when it comes to Lady Rattler basketball? I would say th you know, this year is going to be the growth year or the growing year because she's first time head coach. We had all the COVID layoff. And even between then, we had some new players coming in. I think she had four freshmen come in this year. And some folks that she, I think, reached back to. I think she's a native of Ohio, so she reached back to, I think, some of her old stomping grounds to get some transfers and maybe a, a freshman recruit. And so everybody gets settled in. So I'm thinking as we progress this year, I think we'll see the, the growth in the team and the growth as her as a coach. And then 2022 is probably when it's going to start the, the trend's going to really start to go up. Because she'll establish her program, establish the style, 
she has four freshmen that came in, a couple of transfers. I'm not sure how many years they have, if they have one year or two. But then you start to get the grounding of what she's trying to do, how she wants her team to operate, and the expectations, and then it'll just take off from there. True that. Kelvin, how long do you think it takes to build a championship women's basketball program at a place like Florida A&M University? Well, if you're talking championship, then it, it, it takes more than one year for sure. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, you have to get your players in. You have to get your system. You have to get familiar with your opponents. We're in a new conference for the first time. We're coming off a pandemic. So I don't look for excellence until probably year three, to be honest. I think year one is just a, a, a just a total learning curve. Year two, you'll be a little farther ahead, and I, I think you should be able to be in the middle of the pack at, at the very least. Then year three, you know, you know, a couple of full seasons. I, I think you you know you should have your feet under you. You should have the kind of players you're looking for. You should have your system implemented, and. Um, then now it's time to go compete for championships, you know, conference championships at least. So, yeah, so I, I, I mean, how I long, because, be you know, we've been at this thing, especially with team. basketball for a minute. Um, and we haven't, you know, Gillespie was able to lead us to the tournament and get us a first round win. Realistically, having served in athletics, why do you feel like, or do you feel, what do you think it's going to take for us to succeed in men's basketball and women's basketball? What do you think it's going to take for us to succeed at a, a championship level? I mean, there's not been one HBCU to make it to the Sweet 16. And we've seen other schools that came out of nowhere to do it. And so what is it going to take for us to get to the Sweet 16 level? That's a big question, Kofi. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not just one thing. Uh, I'm going to use a, a, fr- a, a word that's a kind of catch-all. And um, it's not an obsessive word, but it's a very important word to any sport uh, or athletic department. And that word is resources. And resources include funding of support mechanisms. Um where, and, you know, that's everything from nutrition to making sure that you have dedicated training staff and and um, facilities and re- re- recuperation pools and all those things that people don't that are, you know, uh, you know, the ice bathtubs and, and things so that our athletes' body are at a maximum performance peak from game to game. And they recover from game to game as a, at a maximum peak. Um, uh, resources also include um, the most allowable staff to include enough GAs that can do the film breakdown and, and, and so forth. And um, while the coaches can focus solely on coaching and recruiting, um, the S's and O's and, and, and the management of the of the uh, program um we we stretch our coaches kind of thin sometimes because they got to do a lot of administrative things also 
Um, resources also include uh, investing in marketing and promoting those sports better. They deserve to have a, a, a TV network or a coaches show uh, weekly and, and or, or games on um, live streamed or, or, or uh, you know, some kind of deal with local television, uh, Comcast. You know, we have a fan UTV 20. Um, so um, having that brand out there. Uh, you know, in a campaign to get the students and, and the fraternities and all those things out, having concessions that are that have refreshing, tasty options and 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 um, having adult beverages. I mean, uh, most uh, places that that are uh, that that have concessions now uh, indoors have. Um, Similar to our beer garden, they have a zone where you can you can get drinks, cocktails. Yeah, so so you know it, it's some of all of that, and then some, and then of course at the end of the day, all that got to translate to wins. Don't mean nothing if you ain't winning. And 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 let me just add, bringing more competitive and better brand teams, teams that your fan base want to see you, your student body want to see. So, you know, um, you know, I, I would start with focusing in on regional D1 schools. And, and we, we've done that some, you know, in terms of the University of North Florida is one that's typically on our schedule. But, you know, the Stetsons, the Mercers, um, JU, um, those type programs, I think we need to have home and homes consistently, and um, and, and just build it from year to year. But it's a it is a process, and we just have to do more with uh, our, our Olympic sports. True that, man. I'm uh, I want to see us. I believe that FAMU definitely is a, is a is a spot and a place and a university where we can experience success across the board. Uh, I have to admit, I was so jealous um, of North Carolina A&T, you know, with their whole track program and seeing those guys compete on the national stage, on the international stage. And I'm sitting up there like, man, they're in freaking North Carolina. Like, how? Are they beating us in track? Like, and they're getting our athletes. Like, how is that possible for them to be able to be on that level and we on the level where we are? So, you know, I know that it's possible. I just want to see us get there. Um, how much time do we have in this segment before we go into recruitment? We probably should just go ahead into the break and we're going to finish off the last segment with football recruiting. And okay. also talk about mm -hmm. the uh, the all swag members from my football team, and then uh, the, the the Black College Hall of Fame induct uh, finalists also. All right, so yeah, so mm -hmm. I'll start off with that because I know that recruitment segment is gonna be fiery hot, boy, because this is gonna be an <laughs> awesome year. So thank you all for turning tuning into the ONG Strike Zone. We'll be back in a few minutes. Let's go.
Q-Time is our classic Atlanta soul food restaurant located in the historic West End. Q-Time Soul Food is a family business started by Fred and Christine Crenshaw. Come on in, relax, and sink your chops into our tantalizing, mouth-watering, distinctive soul food with a twist, the Q-Time way. 1120 Ralph David Abernathy Boulevard or call your order in at 404-758-2881. Do you miss your mama's cooking? Then come on down to Q-Time, an Urban Passport member. For 200 years, Montgomery, Alabama has been making history by people who had the courage to stand up for change. Today, this riverfront city has been reborn, embracing the past and looking forward to the future. From the National Memorial for Peace and Justice to the stage of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, this is where history was and is made. We are proud to call Montgomery home, and together, we can be the change. Nope. Nope. Come on, him. Ooh, I like him. Quicker Picker Upper. Bounty picks up messes quicker, and each sheet is two times more absorbent, so you can use less. He's an eight. He's a nine. Bounty, the Quicker Picker Upper. Now you can live in Texas and not have a good red meat blend. Texas Cowboy Dust is designed for steak and other red meats. It's out to be my most popular spice blend, made with onions, peppers, ground mushrooms, pink salt, and other spices. Texas Cowboy Dust also goes great with chicken, pork, vegetables, and has a restaurant quality sheen to gravies and sauces. <laughs> It's like a loop machine. Vanilla smoked sea salt seasoning is for seafood. The tarragon and fennel bring out the natural sweetness in seafood. I also use it in rice dishes, on yams, asparagus, blueberry pancakes, and believe it or not, chocolate chip cookies. Vanilla smoked sea salt adds a salty and savory component to sweet dishes that create a symphony for the tongue. The Cuvée Group is a Florida-based marketing and training consulting firm. We help businesses communicate to their target audience and engage them in conversation. We also help to expand their audiences, which will ultimately result in growth for those organizations. In addition to being a certified constant contact specialist, my colleagues and I are also certified in John Maxwell Leadership Principles. We use these proven principles to conduct workshops, training, and private coaching sessions for individuals and companies looking to take things to the next level. Contact us to schedule a free consultation. Issues today, don't delay, call Cuvée. Greetings, everyone. Welcome back to the ONG Strike Zone. This is Kofi Hemingway along with Kelvin Rozier and brother Marcus Matt. And we are here tonight with the ONG Strike Zone. Please like and share. Let everybody know about the show. Tell everybody, tell a neighbor, tell a friend and all that in the back of because we want you to tune in and we can grow. All right. Now, let's talk about, um, you know, just 
we had a couple of things to happen on this week. I think one of the things was the Black College Football Hall of Fame finalist list. And on this list, the Black College Hall of Fame, we've got Henry Lawrence, Tyrone McGriff, Nate Newton, Jackway Nunnally, and Coach Rudy Hubbard. I mean, bruh, <laughs> all of them need to get in. I, I don't <laughs> finalists. They might as well just go ahead and put them in. None of that, you know, because you can't keep any of those guys out. But really and truly, Henry Lawrence uh, and Nate Newton, for me, need to be in the NFL Hall of Fame, man. I think that that would be phenomenal. I know we talk about Ken Riley all the time, and I don't know what we got. I think we just need to go down to the NFL Hall of Fame. We need to post up, bring the 100 one good time, and just bombard that place. I, I just don't get how you don't have Ken Riley in the NFL Hall of Fame, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the Black College Football Hall of Fame. For me, all of these guys are getting in, man. I, I, I don't see how they're not. Um, their records speak for themselves, and it's a no-brainer for me. Kelvin? Yeah, I do believe that all of them are worthy. Um, of course, you know, you can't let everybody in from one school. There are other programs that have nominees that are worthy, too. And I'm not sure the exact number, but I believe they only do about 12 um, uh, of the finalists a year so. If I had to say someone is more deserving than than the other, uh, I don't know how from a black college Hall of Fame you you don't have the leading wide receiver <laughs> for career catches, Jockway and that and Rat Boys, uh, original Rat Boys uh, leader. I, I don't know how he doesn't get in. Right, his number say he gets in. His production said gets in, and he did it over, over like four years. I mean, I mean, he was consistent, and he was he was the one of the best black college players, uh, FCS players, really one double A players uh, on one of the best one double A teams. So I, I don't know how John Quick does not get in, and then the other one I just stick out for me, and I I know you know, hey, Coach Hubbard. I mean. How does he like we not got the in, bro? the only national championship out of HBCUs. This is the Black College Hall of Fame. <laughs> and, and the only coach that has a 1AA championship, not to mention, people don't remember, the uh, 7-7 year, we went undefeated. So he has an undefeated season and a FCS national championship. So that alone gets him in. Plus he beat the University of Miami in 79. So if I had to out of this list, I think all of them are, are deserving. But if you're only going to give me two, I think John Quay and Coach Hubbard would have to go in. Absolutely. I mean, Coach Hubbard, John Quay, but bruh, Henry Lawrence was a beast. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised he was an absolute beast. And Nate Newton was... <laughs> you know, just arguably at, at FAMU, he was amazing. But even on the NFL level, just his NFL prowess was even better. He was probably uh, one of our most renowned players uh, of all time because he had a strong media presence and just a huge personality that, um, you know, just multiple people all over because he played for America's team. 
and it was blocking for one of the greatest running backs of all time in Emmitt Smith, you know, Newton's name was always being called by John Madden as one of the best, man. So I'm sitting up there like all five of these guys need to get in. But if we down to two, I'm with you. I do think it's going to be on Jack Way and, uh, and Coach Hubbard. Uh, Marcus, anything? Yeah, I agree with the both of you. I'm surprised um, Henry Lawrence wasn't already in. I thought he was already in. So when I saw that today, I, I was like, Rudy was in, bro. Yeah, I was like, mm. but yeah, I agree with that. I mean, they're all deserving. Cool. We don't we don't know who the I don't want to call them competition because they're all deserving to get in. But you know, I don't know who's on the ballot this year that might bubble to the top to keep one or two of the Rattlers out. But uh, I didn't look at the whole uh, final semifinalist list. Absolutely, man. And so, you know, just moving on to this next part, man, we had nine, nine, nine Rattlers that received SWAT honors, man. Nine, nine. As y'all are watching, man, just put nine. That is incredible, man. For it our is. first year in the SWAT, we had Isaiah Land, who got Defensive Player of the Year, Bishop Bonnet, all SWAT first team. Keenan Forbes, all SWAC first team. Marquise Bell, all SWAC first team. BJ Bowler, all SWAC first team. He's coming back next year. Jose Roma Martinez, all SWAC first team. Jay, Jay Jackson Williams, offensive line, all SWAC second team. Savion Williams, all SWAC second team. And Deontay Williams, defensive line, second team defense, man. Now, here's the thing. Jamarie Sheree did not make first or second team as a special teams return. I'm sitting up there like this dude led the country, man. Led the country in returns. Like, how is this guy not? Never mind. Um, yeah. It's just crazy, man. And, you know, a lot of people felt that Lamb being on the list as a linebacker took away from Jackson State's Keontae Hampton because – Land was thought of more as a defensive end than a linebacker. And, you know, people are sitting up there talking about Shadir didn't win offensive player of the year. I just, he, well, I'm going to open the door to discussion, open the floor up for discussion before I get on Shadir. But, um, Kelvin, uh, what is what are your thoughts, man? Uh, I, I think that's uh, about right. You know, Jackson State had nine. Shadir didn't win offensive uh, player of the year. Members, and we had nine. The two best teams, so it makes sense, right? And um, out of our nine, six were uh, first team. It, it, I find it amazing that our backup kicker ended up being first team because we, we he replaced our All American first team preseason. So that 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 speaks to our depth, number one, in 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 the recruiting, and then um, we had we had guys. First time with with significant playing time, Isaiah. This was his first time as a full time starter, uh, and, and he's just absolutely knocked it out the box, the box. And so that tells me that we did a good job. Our coaching staff and our and our and our support staff did a great job in developing these these players, right? Um, mm -hmm. Jay Williams and uh. And uh, Savion and Deontay, they first time they they first time routers, they first time in this system, and, and they and they all all swag. So uh, BJ, 
first time rattler for her first time. I mean, it's it's amazing that these guys came in year one, year one in the sweat at that, and not only deliver a great season, but uh, individually, I think they all were deserving. Uh, of course, Jamar J- Jamare is a big miss. There's no way he should not be first team as a kid punt returner. Just no way. Uh, in terms of Land, yeah, Land spent most of his time at the line of scrimmage and played more as deep as he But he's he's a linebacker, so I don't have any issues with that. He was better than anybody else in the conference. At the end of the day, it's never say he was, so that's what it is. Now, in terms of Shadur and the player of the year, uh, Shadur's a great leader. Um, he had a really good season. But Jackson State won whether he had a great game or not because that defense was elite. On the other hand, Akil Glass, if he didn't have a great game, Alabama and him were going to win. <laughs> and I think that's just what it boiled down to. He had stats. He had better stats, the better numbers. And he carried his team for sure, to, to 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 a great finish. I mean, the only losses came to us, Jackson State, and then a Division One program, a FBS program. So so everybody knew Akil Glass was going to get that, that award. So I think for the most part, they got it right. Um, Now, I kind of get what they were saying with the fact that Isaiah Lamb played defensive end and they had, oh, boy, linebackers. So, you know, just jokers were just – Going living like he's not a linebacker, he's not a linebacker, he's not a linebacker, (laughs) you know. And um, people felt like you know, Houston really should have gotten the defensive player of the year, man. I want to give a shout out to my boy Off Script, who is a you know, getting scholarships from all these institutions and HBCUs, man. He is getting all these offers from all of these HBCUs, man. I'm telling you, man, just live your dream, bro. Just show up on the show on Monday and we good, okay? Live your dream, show up on the show on Monday, and we're good, all right? Um, But, you know, that whole defensive player of the year is getting a whole lot of controversy for me. I, I can't even argue about it. I didn't have a vote in the matter. Um, Houston and Land have been dynamite all year long. As a Rattler, I'm going to say Land. So there you have it. So get yeah. mad, you people. I'm good. All right, but let's um let's go there with uh as we turn it over into our recruitment segment. I was you know this is the ONG strike <laughs> zone, and there's a lot that's on my heart regarding that whole scenario up there in Alabama State with the whole coaching hire and them hiring Eddie Robinson over all of those people that apply for the job. So I just want to say this whole nepotism thing at our HBCUs has got to freaking stop. Get the best possible person for the job, please. All right, I'm off my soapbox. All right, so now we're going into our recruitment segment with our recruitment our recruitment guru, Brother Marcus. So Marcus, I'm going to shut up, man. I'm going to get out the way and let you do your thing. Break it on down for us. What is what can Rattler Nation expect regarding recruitment? Uh, well, let me the last segment real quick. I think General Hunt was a big miss too. 
I may be biased, but for his first year playing, I oh, think bro. he could have got some. He could have got some votes too, and that kind of segues into our into our vote into our recruiting. Is one of the things that I noticed the last couple of years that our Coach Simmons and staff has done with like a gentle hunt with a Delonis Kabir, our offensive lineman, who, who you see on uh, Why Not Us, uh, some freshmen that came in last year, uh, Winston Frazier and uh, Jaleel Kaur as a defensive back for cl- class of 2020. They've done a good job of swooping in and getting some three-star guys that were, well, at least from my, you know, kind of swooping around pretty much all year. Uh, and ter- they were kind of late to the party in terms of they were off the radar, at least off of radar people who watch those kind of things. So they got some three-stars in, and I think we're going to do the same thing this year. I think with the transfer portal, and we can talk about that a little bit, I know time permitting, with a lot of the surge we're seeing just in the last couple of days, I think the trickle-down effect is going to push some really, really good players to us. And anybody who's left at the altar early signing day because of the transfer portal or some of the FBS teams basically you know, having players move from one place to another, I think we're going to get I think we're going to get a boon of some good, really good players to build, to build, continue to build the family for years going forward. And it'll be a result of not really going transfer feet crazy, but advantage of players who may, high who may not have gotten attention or got bumped out because of transfer board. That's awesome, man. Now, so, Kelvin, you Kelvin, you know, just just even looking at that in regards to um, what we have coming in, man, and this whole transfer portal, uh, how that is reflecting, uh, I want to say, affecting the high school players that are coming out. Because I know they're sitting up there like, man, I wish these jokers would just move out the way. Now I got to give up. You know, my scholarship is going to somebody that's more experienced, man. So, what are we looking at? Or what should a high school player expect going into this recruitment season? You're going to see more uh, ranked or star, lower star athletes fall to the FCS level. Because if a coach has a choice, you see what's happening in the landscape of college football. You see folks leaving Oklahoma, going to USC, folks leaving Notre Dame to go to LSU, coaches. The transfer reporter is serious, man. And with the mindset that coaches got to win right away, they don't get four years to develop kids anymore. So if you got a kid transferring in that you know is ready, you got film on me, Fisher, the coaches, and Coach Simmons spoke to this, it's going to create less opportunities for, for high school kids. That's just the reality of it. So there'll be a lot of diamonds in a row. That, you know, that I have four or five years uh, left to play. I mean, we just named our nine all sweat selection. And out of that nine, what, only three really came as freshmen? The rest of them are transfers. So uh, that's that's the reality. That's the landscape of college football in the transfer portal era. And I don't see it changing in its, anytime soon significantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully for wow. us, that'll mean we'll get some push down or we'll get some guys like uh, like the ones I mentioned before. And even like uh, Mike Marshall, 
who came from Northwestern. I think he was a three-star D tackle. And, you know, he had some things going on right before, you know, around Christmas break. But, you know, he was one of those January guys that signed on signing day. So we had a couple like that. And, you know, just looking at our depth chart, you know, if we go down position by position, you know, start with the quarterback, we've got three guys that we believe are coming back, you know, with uh, McKay, with Miratovic, and Cameron Sapp. And is that a potential for, you know, we're always looking for a talent upgrade. Is that a potential for a transfer spot to bring in uh, someone to continue, either someone to raise the talent level and elevate everyone's sense of urgency and or get someone in that would fit uh, Coach Simmons' previous MO from a quarterback in terms of RPO, more of a got more wheels and an arm versus one or the other. Well, you know, just, you know, I know that he's looking for that. He's actively looking for that. It just didn't. Uh, pan out that way. I know my brother off script is on there. It's like, what y'all gonna do with McKay? What y'all gonna do with McKay? Well, McKay is our dude and he's not going anywhere. He's committed to the program. He's proven himself as a leader. So whoever Coach Simmons brings in is still going to have to beat McKay out who already knows the playbook. So um, I'm hearing that the guy at the University of South Alabama has entered into the portal and he's a guy that we uh, recruited, I believe, in 20, was that 2018? When uh, Coach Simmons first got uh, to FAMU. So he's a guy, and i just throwing a name out there, obviously, right? Um, you know, Spencer Rattler would just be a perfect fit uh. on the highs of Seven Hills as, you know, just the Rattler. I mean, his name just is automatic. Man, that would just be... Just absolutely incredible. Now, I'm being realistic, okay? I don't think he's probably going to end up on the highest of seven hills. But that being said, a guy can dream, right? So Spencer Rattler, <laughs> as a Rattler, man, that's going to be nuts. Scotty, calm down. All right, so, <laughs> bruh, I mean, what kind of shot do you realistically, do you think we got a shot? Because I'm like this. I'm like, hey, he out there. You know, he hadn't signed anywhere yet. We need to give him a call. So, Kelvin, what you think about that? Well, I know uh, coaches are paying attention, to, you know, and and uh, I, I'm sure some Rattlers have ventured over their fans and and it made that, that relationship name between Rattler, his name, and, 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 our, and our, our mascot. Uh, I don't think it's realistic, but but I do think it's possible. But it's, you know, I mean, he's from out west. Uh, you know, nothing says that he would consider coming after being a Heisman front runner here. Consider coming down to the FCS level, number one, and then to the FCS level at all the way to Florida. Um, so I I don't know how realistic that is, but but he ain't said no yet. <laughs> he ain't signed nowhere else. So so until that happens, uh let, let, let's keep selling lies. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus, what do you think about Spencer Rattler being a rapper, Mike? This is being recorded, so I'm gonna keep all, some of my comments to myself. But 
I'm not seeing it. I if he wouldn't be my first choice, you know, I don't know. I mean, talent wise, yes. But there was an article today in 24-7 Sports that kind of well, actually it was in the, the FSU portal, but it mentioned some potential players for them and gave a little breakdown by position, kind of like how we're gonna do here. And it mentioned, you know, talent-wise, he's NFL talent, but there have been concerns about locker room being a locker room guy, being a leader. And I don't know to what degree that's true or not, but I don't think we want to upset the fam you lead in the, in the locker room that coach Simmons has built up. And he's been strategic about the transfers that he's brought in to make sure that they're a fit talent wise and that they're a fit in terms of personality and what they need and maturity. So we don't want to upset that apple cart. If we have someone who, comes in from a a different level with certain expectations and it causes a disruption to what has been built up. Hey, Marcus, along, along that note, can you tell us like the top two or three uh, highest ranked guys who who on our radar now that you can track? Um, sure. Um, well, I know we've put an offer. We've had, offers you know just about everybody in florida so we've had offers to um at least one five star and i think it's um i think it's the gentleman that uh committed to ohio state kenyatta jackson i think he's for shamanan madonna defensive end we have an offer to we have about 16 four stars that we offered i don't remember all the names so you know they're kind of interspersed out but about 16 offers to four-star players. We have about 67 offers as of tonight to three-star players. So if we continue that trend or even bump up the number of three-stars that we are actually to snag on signing day, you know, and get some of those players that have the talent based on, once again, 24-7's ranking system, and we continue to develop them like we've seen the development from an Isaiah Land who I believe was not ranked in if we see that type of development from an Isaiah Land and Coach Simmons sees the talent in him to develop him over a couple of years, then once we get these three stars in and get them in the system, I think we'll just it'll just keep giving and giving and giving. So we'll, we'll go up from that standpoint. And we have uh, five two star offers and what I call, I guess, in my, my spreadsheet, um, a NA, they're not listed. We have 14 who aren't listed in the 24-7 database, 24-7 sports database, and we have 23 offers to players who are listed but didn't have any stars or weren't ranked. But I have confidence in the development scheme and system that Coach Simmons has put to, and his staff have put together. And so I'm thinking we're going to continue to see players that develop. And actually one player I'm kind of hoping, you know, will kind of follow an Isaiah Land type trend is a guy we signed in 2020. He's an athlete out of Gibbs High School, I think in St. Petersburg, by the name of LaRoderick James. And, you know, I've looked at some pictures on on his Twitter recently, you know, right after the um, Florida Classic, and you can see he's bulked up from his signing day. So I'm hoping that they're developing him and kind of following that Isaiah Land uh, type of path. I think he's listed as an LB defensive end as well. And so I'm hoping he follows that path. And we've seen how they developed walk-ons. And that was one of the storylines going into the playoffs, how we see how Xavier Smith and uh, Bishop Bonnet 
and a couple of other walk-ons. And I think Chad was a walk-on from Rickards and how they developed into all-conference type players and people who are uh, getting some, at least NFL mentions. So that development program from the players that we're going to get and hopefully develop over time and mixed uh, judiciously a little, you know, uh, prudently, if you will, with the JUCO offers and strategic uh, transfers, I think will bode well for us. And Coach Simmons actually mentioned that the other day. On, um, there's a podcast with uh, John Santucci, who I believe is out of the Treasure Coast area, but he's for the USA Network. USA Today newspaper network. Coach Simmons was the on last week's recruiting segment and he mentioned that he mentioned he's gonna have to you know mix based on your needs but look at high school players look at strategically offering and uh, signing jucos and transfers well man so we're about to close out but uh obviously you know the big question is going to be marquise bell and collier um going to the nfl so who are we looking to replace those guys well, we do have some offers to some safeties. And actually, I wanted to mention, um, there's actually some guys like, if you look at Javen Moore, you know, he kind of, there was an article I read on Family Football, basically, that, um, you know, he was penciled in as being a, the co-starter with um, Marquise Bell until Collier came in. But you see how when they played a three-safety look, or even when he had to sub in as a cornerback, when um, Kendall Bowler got hurt, that he's got some talent. And I, I th- actually, I think Coach Simmons has said that he's the most athletic person in the backfield, in the defensive backfield. So he could be one. We got a late transfer who hopefully continued, who stayed around uh, this year, a local guy, uh, Robert Glanton. I believe was, he played ball at Pear- in uh, Taylor County High School. Taylor and he, transferred from, he transferred in from Wake Forest like during, during camp. So I don't know to what degree, you know, folks are all, you know, how the uh, eligibility thing plays out. But if you have him and Javen Morgan, plus a couple other guys that we're looking at from a safety standpoint. And one thing that came across my radar is that uh, this guy, I think we offered him in over the summer, Marquise Gilbert. And I think he's a transfer. He started at BCU like two years ago, left. After, I think I want to say 2019, he was a freshman then, went Juco. But I think I saw something where now he's like the number one rated Juco safety. And we have an offer out to him. So we'll have wow. to see what pans out with that. Well, he's getting some other offers too. If he's He's got some before, but I think since that rating last week, and I need to check, I don't know what our What's chances are. What's his name again? I can follow him on the Twitter. Uh, Marquise Gilbert. It's not spelled like Marquise. Another Marquise? Bell. Yeah, but it's spelled, I think, M-A-R-Q-U-I-S-E, Gilbert. Okay, well, Rattler Nation, I see my sister Kenya out there. I'm seeing all script out there, EA, Stephen Campbell, man. Um, We're going to be back on next week because this recruitment thing is going to be big all the way through December as we lead up to signing day. We are less than 60 days away from National Signing Day. I'd like to thank each and every one of you all for tuning in to the ONG Strike Zone Thank you so much, Marcus, for joining us. We definitely need to have you back next week because obviously we're not done. We haven't even gotten all the way 
halfway through, but man, thank you for filling in. Brian, y'all better have won that darn game since you wasn't here tonight. Y'all better have won the darn game. That's all I got to say. All right, Kelvin, man, you know how we do, man. I appreciate you. Thanks so much. And for each and every one of y'all, spread the word about the ONG Strike Zone. We are ready to spot up them snakes, and let's get out of here. God bless you. Early signing day, December 15th. Early signing day, December 15th. Let's go.